Well, throughout the, this series that I've been doing in the book of Acts, I've a few times already pointed uh, or called attention to, to this truth, this uh, biblical philosophy of history. The, the word philosophy is uh, a sort of dirty word that we don't like using, but it just means that uh, this philosophy of Scripture, especially um, as we look at uh, the history of salvation, what is it, the, 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 the story that the, Lord, that, that the Lord is trying to convey to us, uh, tell us, In a figurative, metaphorical manner, in Revelation 12, we're given something of this uh, story, this philosophy of history. It is illustrated for us or in, in Acts 16, the passage that we just read, but it is uh, figuratively represented to us in these images in Acts 12, or in Revelation 12. We read of Israel, a woman, as a woman, clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a, a garland, a crown of twelve stars. And she was pregnant, suffering with the pains of childbirth. The child, we know, is the Lord Jesus Christ, who comes into the world in fulfillment of God's promises. And then we read of this other vision of a dragon. A great fiery red dragon, seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven, the angels, a third of the angels that, that rebelled against God. And there is a war breaking out in this, in this chapter. And again, this is, in one chapter, it's the whole of salvation history being compressed into this image of a, of a woman pregnant, giving birth to a child, the fiery red dragon wanting to devour the child but unable to do so, and he is defeated, he is cast down into, into the earth. And we read that when he saw that he had been cast down into the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child and her offspring, the rest of her offspring. And again, all of this uh, imagery is meant to convey to us the reality of what happens in our lives as Christians. We don't talk much about the spiritual reality of spiritual war warfare, of the, the spiritual battle that happens in and around us. But that's m very much because of our own ignorance and of our own sinfulness. The Bible makes no uh, apologies or the Bible speaks very much about this. There is a spiritual warfare going on. The Apostle Paul says to the Philippians, Telling them to, to clothe themselves with the armor of God. Why? Because we, we find our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He says our struggle is against principalities and powers. Against the rulers of this dark world. Against the spiritual forces of evil. And in the book of Acts, that's, that's what I was uh, alluding to. The book of Acts, we see this happening. In the... Uh, in front of our very eyes. 
throughout the book of Acts, we see this constant clashing between Christ and his kingdom and Satan and his empire of darkness. Acts 16 is yet another example of this clash where Satan, the red, red fiery dragon, is trying to hinder the advance of the word of God. This time not through violence or physical violence as he has done so already. Remember Stephen, remember James. You could in fact say remember our Lord Jesus Christ. But this time he's trying to stem the advance of the gospel through cunningness, craftiness, through his own deceitfulness and deception. So today's text, although short, it is a text that is very important for us to remember. A text that we, uh, uh, because it is a reality that we don't get remembered often enough. Satan would have us to be ignorant of his craftiness. Satan would have us to be ignorant of his schemes. So that he can work in peace and without any opposition. So it is important for us to consider this. Uh, I did wonder, as I was preparing to preach this passage, should I preach just a longer passage uh, that goes all the way up to, to verse 24? Or should I just preach this, these three verses? And because I believe this is a very important message for us in all times, but for us in particular today, we're going to consider just this, these three verses under three headings. Firstly, a demonic interference. Secondly, a diabolic insincerity. And thirdly, a divine instruction. Let me just give context. I believe all of us know where we are at this moment, but this is the second missionary journey of Paul. He's traveling with Silas, with, with uh, Timothy, and with, uh, with Luke. Last week we saw how Lydia was converted and her, and her household and how they were staying there. And they surely, as we can see from, from the following verses, the verses that we're considering today, they served, certainly, as they stayed in Lydia's house in Philippi, they continued to devote themselves to the preaching of the gospel, to the expansion of the kingdom, to the proclamation of the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. They certainly were doing that. And again, as we get to verse 16, we find that they are once again going to the place of prayer, that river 15 kilometers away from Philippi. They're probably hoping to, to preach uh, to, 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 to the other women, to continue, to plead for, with them for their lives. And in verse 16, we, uh, we see highlighted for us uh, an interference, uh, an intrusion, it says that a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, and she had her masters with her, who profited from her fortune telling. The word here for, for um, uh, divination, the word here for fortune telling, is the word for python. Uh, it's a word python in, in, uh, in Greek, which is uh, in itself a reference to, to a serpent, to a dragon, python. It is very much um, a word that was uh, in use in the days of, uh, of Paul and Luke. It is very much a word that had a, a deep meaning. It, it, 
the, the serpent, the dragon in Greek mythology, in the Greek pantheon of the gods, was killed by God, the, uh, the god named Apollo. And uh, when Apollo killed the serpent, he gained the gift of clairvoyance, of fortune-telling. And this word was used then to all people in that society uh, that had the, the, the gift, and we'll talk a little bit about it, of clairvoyance, of fortune-telling. You've probably heard of that great world, uh, of the, that great wonder, the Oracle of Delphi. The priestess who would uh, supervise the Oracle of Delphi was known as the Pythoness, the Pythoness. And later this term was given to all uh, people who possessed, the, again, the gift of divination, of fortune-telling. We read that this girl was a slave, that she was being exploited by her masters. We read that she brought much profit. That's from the onset. That's what everyone around would see. But again, the, B the Bible gives us a, 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 a peek into the back uh, of what's really happening. We know that this girl was in fact possessed by an evil spirit, a demon that was tormenting her. At this point, let me make a small parenthesis. Let me go on a small aside and say... Although I don't believe there is much a, uh, of a problem here in the UK as it is, for instance, in my country, in Portugal, and perhaps in South America and Africa, and, uh, perhaps as well, uh, the Bible condemns all kinds of consulting with mediums. It is, there is no doubt about it. There's plenty of passages where the Bible clearly uh, prohibits God's people from consulting diviners, from consulting those who, who speak with the dead, necromancers. Leviticus 19.31 says, Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them. Do to be defiled by them. God says, we read the story of Saul. What is it that Saul did that uh, displeased God? It was his unfaithfulness. We read in 1 Chronicles chapter 10. He committed against the Lord because he did not keep the word of the Lord and because he consulted a medium, a fortune teller, a, a, a diviner for guidance. He did not inquire the Lord, we read. Therefore, the Lord killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Only God is to be consulted in these things. And not, having said that, I know for a fact that there is plenty of this going on in London. Witchcrafts and fortune tellings and necromancers. You just open some classified section in, uh, or start searching on the internet and you find that there is plenty of this going on. Only God knows the future because God determines it and reveals it to those whom he wills. So what is it about the power that this, uh, this girl had that seemed to, to be foretelling the future? I would say, because it is certainly true that only God has the uh, omniscience and only God knows really what's happening in the future, I would say that we fail to... Uh, the demons and, and the devil are very crafty. 
very smart, very quick-witted, and often can do things and say things and place things in the hearts of men and women that seem to be uh, telling the future when in fact it's just he, he sees those things about to happen. And because they, they are so quick-witted, they can announce the arrival, for example, of a person before the person arrives and everyone thinks, oh wow, that's, that's fortune-telling, that's, that's uh, premonition, clairvoyance. But one thing is certain, only God is omniscient, only God knows the future. Satan and his devil and his demons are shrewd, cunning, they are untruthful, and they deceive. That's what they do. They deceive the unwary. Especially those who are in spiritual darkness. So this is the intrusion that was happening here. This slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us. And we, we read, secondly, of a diabolical insincerity. What, what was this girl saying? In verse 17 says that this girl was following Paul in us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. This unexpected intrusion was followed by this diabolical testimony about the identity and activity of Paul and his companions. These men are servants of the Most High God. They proclaim the way of salvation. You might be asking, well, isn't that true, Pastor? Yes, it is a true statement. But it's devilishly vague of a statement. Indeed, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke were servants of the high God. And they were, in fact, in Philippi to announce the way of salvation. But why do I say that this is devilishly vague? Because the expression here for the Most High God... Although for a Jew would be perceived as a, okay, these men are servants of Yahweh. If this was being said in, in Jerusalem, in the streets of Jerusalem or in, in Canaan uh, or uh, around Judea, uh, people would understand, oh, so they are servants of Yahweh. But this is being said in Philippi, a pagan culture. A culture that for them, the most high God was Zeus or Jupiter. Uh, so for, for this girl, under the influence of the devil, to be telling the, the Philippian uh, inhabitants that these men, Paul and his companions, are uh, servants of the most high God, they would understand, oh, so they're servants of Zeus. Oh, that's good. And even the, the, the term for the, uh, way of, uh, the way of salvation... In, in the original Greek here, uh, that, that underlies our translation, it doesn't have a definite article. You could equally uh, translate this as the, these men are announcing a way of salvation. And in fact, all gods in, in, in all world religions throughout the history of, uh, of humanity, they offer some kind of salvation. Not salvation from sins, Salvation from, from misery. Salvation from, from your ship getting shipwrecked on, the, on, on, the, on sea. Salvation from, from financial ruin. Salvation from, from uh, physical infirmity. They, they, all 
gods in all world religions, there is an offer of a salvation. So you see, although the statement is factually true, it is devilishly vague in that context. The intention of Satan here, again, remember Revelation 12, remember that there is a spiritual warfare uh, going on, and that uh, for every action there is, there is a, a, an opposite uh, reaction. For every step that the church of uh, the kingdom of God takes forward, there is a, a pushback by the, the, the army and the empire of darkness. Remember that, that the intention of Satan here is to confuse the activity of the Christian missionaries to try and gray out everything in the middle to try and mix light and the darkness to try and shift it around can you imagine the amount of damage that this girl's paganism would have done to the church had Paul not discerned what this girl was on about Let's imagine that Paul had not understood. And, she, and Paul goes, wow, she's professing to be a believer. She's saying the right thing. Let us welcome her. And she becomes a, uh, a member of the church of Jesus Christ in Philippi. A member of the church there. And she's apparently a believer. She professes to, be, uh, to have faith. Can you imagine the confusion that would have happened in that church? over the next months and years while this diabolical uh, scheme from Satan is enacting you cannot associate the gospel of Christ with diabolical darkness I believe that is why the, this spirit was saying these things he was trying Satan was trying to say a true thing in order that he would deceive the believers there so that then he would be able to spread his lies even further as well someone wrote that Satan will declare a hundred things that are true in order to dupe you in the, with the hundredth and, and first that is not he knows that he cannot always get people to believe a lie and the curiosity surrounding the visit of these men to Philippi was impossible to quell. But if he could get those to believe something that was false, those that were curious to believe something that was false, that would gain a foothold in this camp that he could exploit for his own advantage. And then from this diabolical insincerity, this diabolical lie in, the, in, in many ways, uh, we find that there is a, a divine instruction. Paul, uh, after a few days, he became greatly annoyed. And he took action. And you might ask, why, why did it take so long for him to act? Why did he not step in immediately and silence her? Well... We're not told. But it is possible that he was not sure at first. Many things, I'm sure, were happening in the ministry of Paul that were uh, uh, unusual phenomena 
where people were getting saved. Uh, probably heard of people getting saved like Cornelius. When, when Peter got to the house, he was already uh, willing. Uh, so he, he probably didn't know exactly what was happening uh, in this at the beginning. Or perhaps he, he initially did not appear to be a, a, quite a demonic activity. It only became apparent to him that later on that this was indeed demonic. But what is true is that at some point, over the next few days, he became greatly annoyed. He saw through the, what was happening. He was both irritated and troubled by her behavior. Likely, many commentators say, say that he was also moved by compassion. This because we have here um, uh, reference to her being exploited by her masters. Perhaps moved by some kind of compassion as well. Paul, Paul just blew the fuse. There is no other way. The word here is literally a word that says that he was annoyed. He, he blew the fuse. He, he couldn't take it no longer. He acted. And if this causes you to be so somewhat oh, uh, blowing the fuse, it is very bad. It's, uh, Paul wasn't acting justly. That's because it's your culture, British culture, that, that, that refrains us from having any kind of, 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 uh, of rashness. Because it is very much a thing. We are to be indignant at the sight of evil. Society has, been, has made us to be very uh, passive in these things. I don't think there is any wrongdoing here on the part of Paul. If anything, it demonstrates a lot of restraint. He restrained himself for days. But at some point, he couldn't take it any longer. And he acted on it. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we should all develop this kind of uh, Italian, uh, Southern European way of uh, blowing the fuse at everything. That is not right as well. But there needs to be some balance in the middle that we need to find. But besides the point, the, the issue is a divine instruction. He says to this, to this woman, to this girl, or says to the devil, that is, uh, bother this woman. Get out of her. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. He clearly understood the source and the fallacious uh, nature of their statement and its diabolical purpose. So he acted. He said, get out of her. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you. And the spirit immediately departed. And here we have a clear teaching of, uh, that darkness and light do not have anything to do with one another. They, they, cannot, they cannot coexist. The message of salvation was entrusted to the church, even though this woman seemed to be saying under the influence of the devil some things that seemed true. They, they could not be shared. The, the message of the gospel was given to the church and not to the devil and the demons. There was to be no confusion. But fellowship is there between the light and the dark, the darkness. I believe this woman was saved. I believe this young girl was saved. If anything, this, this, this uh, 
First of all, because every time in Scripture that we find someone that was under the, the, the oppression of the devil in this way and was released, that person was saved. We can only understand that someone being released from the shackles of the devil in the way that this young girl was to be uh, a step uh, or to, uh, in salvation, to be salvation. And secondly, because this event is in sandwich between the salvation of Lydia and the salvation of the Philippian jailer. I think very much uh, Luke, under the inspiration of his spirit, he was picking and choosing these reports so that uh, he could, he, you and I, we could see something about the, the inner workings of how God saves and see that actually God saves far uh, and wide spectrum of people and in a far and wide spectrum of ways Lydia, uh, Lydia was, uh, had her heart in the, open in a very peaceful way she was uh, um, willing to listen or made willing to listen and as she listened she had her heart open uh, this girl there seems to be a, uh, an intense spiritual fight over her soul and with the Philippian jailer, as we'll see, um, perhaps not next week, but the, the week following, he is saved under the intense um, threat of his own life. He, he thought that he was going to die because of the earthquake that released the prisoners. Three, of, three different people, very different circumstances, very different way that they were saved by the same God and by the same gospel. So what is it that we can profit from this, from this passage? What is it that we can f profit from considering a passage like this? First of all, it warns us. It warns us of Satan's attacks and, and various ploys to hinder the work. Secondly, it encourages uh, to demonstrate or it encourages us by demonstrating Christ's victory over Satan and his agents. And thirdly, I believe it refers us back to Scripture. It refers us to the sword of the Holy Spirit, the only weapon effective enough in this spiritual battle. Let me try to unpack this really quickly, these three points. As I said, wherever the, go the gospel is preached, wherever the kingdom of God is expanding, you can expect, you can be sure that there will be opposition. We are living in a spiritual battle. Wherever there is some kind of advancement of the kingdom of God, wherever the light is shining, the darkness will try to hide it. That is very much the, how it's always been. And then how it will always be until the return of our Lord. For every action, for every step forward, for every inch that you conquer, conquer on, the, on the trenches in the, in the battlefield, you will find that Satan will try to push back. And this, this should be a warning. As we try to go into, a, into this world, preach the gospel, should warn us to be uh, aware of what's going to happen. Many times, Satan's actions can be violent. It warns us. We find that in Scripture. We find that with Stephen, with, with James. We find that with our Lord Jesus. We find that with the Jerusalem church at the, at the first great persecution of the Christian church. Uh, sometimes, uh, it can be violent, physical. 
Throughout history, there have been men and women who died because of persecution. Other times, perhaps more dangerously so, Satan can act crafty with his craftiness, with his deceitfulness. Instead of openly, violently attacking and persecuting the church, he tries to infilter, uh, to infilter himself, uh, intrude himself in some way, to plant something. Countless times in human history this has happened as well. Satan comes as a stealthy, cunning, crafty deceiver. But however, this is the warning. One way or the other, it will happen. It's not if, it's when, it's how. It will happen. So let us not be discouraged when our initiatives, when our trying to do something for the Lord is met with pushback, is met with, with, uh, with uh, difficulties. It has always been the case. When we try to witness to our, work, uh, to our work colleagues, to our neighbors, to our family members, to our relatives, when we encounter difficulties, problems, and oppositions, let us not take, uh, be disheartened, let, let's take courage, let's persevere, knowing that in spite of the fierce opposition that we face, the light will always overcome darkness. Darkness cannot comprehend, comprehend the word. Darkness cannot involve and envelop the light. John 1.5 Darkness will not prevail against the light. We are warned against the craftiness and the wit of Satan in his opposition to the gospel. Isn't that what, what, what Paul said in, to the Corinthians? That Satan can mask himself as an angel of light. He operates and makes use, for example, of the hypocrisy and the lies of Sapphira and Ananias. In Acts 5, he uses the murmuring of the, uh, of the uh, Hellenistic Christians in Acts chapter 6. The opposition of Barjesus Barges in, in, uh, in Acts 13. The, the Judaizers in Acts 15. The, the discussion, the dissension, the, the, the argument between Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15 at the end before the beginning of the second journey. Satan will use these things. But in all of these episodes, the light of truth prevails. Satan's plans are frustrated. The expansion of, kingdom, of God's kingdom is ultimately stimulated. Isn't it wonderful to see what, when he persecutes the Jerusalem church and scatters them abroad, he is actually accomplishing God's plan. As the Jerusalem church scatters abroad because of persecution brought, up, uh, brought by the devil, the church takes the gospel far and wide into Judea and Samaria. So let us not lose heart. Let us be encouraged. And let me draw a parallel, uh, a parenthesis here as well. This girl's condition, this young girl's condition, this slave girl's condition should be a warning for us should be a, a, a reminder for us that just because there is some bare bones truth of the gospel contained in what she's saying, because she does not experience anything of its saving power, she is a slave to the devil. 
There is no such thing in, uh, as having a living faith uh, where faith is not lived. Does that make sense to you? There is no such thing as having a, a f living faith where you don't live that faith. There is no such thing as loving, uh, uh, as a truth loved, where, where you don't act on that love and do that truth. The finest words coming out of the mouth uh, uh, of this slave girl do not prove a single thing. Do not prove a single thing. We're just a mask of the soul's true state of this girl. And again, Satan is very deceiving. She was probably being deceived by Satan in her own heart as well. Our Lord Jesus said, If you're not of him, you're of your father, the devil. If you don't know him savingly, you are of your father, the devil. And in that sense, all of us outside of Christ are like this slave girl, enslaved by the devil, enslaved by our sin. It's a, it is not a question of, uh, of how much. Uh, no, it, the question here is really just a question of degree of manifestation. Everyone you come across with that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, who has not been touched by the spiritual regeneration of the Spirit, uh, is just like this poor slave girl, enslaved by the devil, by her sins. It is only a question of degree of manifestation rather than a different kind of manifestation. Let us be careful with the attacks of the evil one. He does love to do it. And I don't need to, to tell you in this way, but I, he has been at work doing them. Why? Because we are engaged in the, in the spiritual warfare. So the question is, where has he been trying to hinder the work being done in our midst? Where is, has he been playing, uh, planting the seeds of, we, uh, of, of wickedness? And where has he been crafty in, in our own church? Is it, where does this apply to us? He is able. He is able to, to deceive. And that's why we are encouraged. In scripture. In more ways than one. To develop. To train up the powers of our discernment. To develop and train up our knowledge of the Bible of scripture. So as not to be deceived by the deceitfulness of Satan. Of the father of lies but to be prepared to discern his craftiness, to perceive his deceitfulness, and to confront him and it with the word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Only a sound knowledge of the scriptures will enable us to exercise our spiritual faculties, to discern not only good but also evil, as the, the author of Hebrews says, and to prevail over the vials and the and the craftiness of the evil one 
as Jesus himself did in the, in the wilderness. It is not done in our own wisdom, is it? At the end of the day, we realize this is very much a work of the Spirit through the Word, giving us wisdom and discernment. But let us grow in that knowledge and in the obedience of the Word of God. And we will be able to exclaim, together with, with John Calvin, I'll finish with this quote, Let Satan do what he can, and the false apostles try to obscure the truth as much as they can. But we do not fear. For the spirit of wisdom and discernment does not forsake us. He may rule Satan at his pleasure and will enable us to finally and ultimately to triumph over him. It is a work of Christ. Let us seek him and his wisdom as we move forward in the proclamation of God's kingdom in this, in this 